1: In today's episode, we are talking to Mary L. Gray, Senior Principal Researcher at Microsoft Research, and Elizabeth J. Chin, Editor-in-Chief of the American Anthropologist. In today's episode, we reflect on the concepts of community and fellowship in the world of those practicing anthropology. We ask Mary and Elizabeth about the relationships that they have with their discipline and the community of practitioners within it. What do they feel they need from colleagues, critics, and journals, all of which form the axis of the anthropological conversation? How to be excellent without being elitist and violent, but instead generous and welcoming? Is there room for imagining that failure is a building exercise? How to be fully present for each other without undermining the critical interrogation? How to transform a conflict into a conversation? Stay with us throughout this reflective episode in which abstract questions are approached with very concrete and personal perspectives. We hope you enjoy it.
0: Hi friends, we are here today with uh, Mary and Elizabeth. We will be talking about a very interesting subject, which is fellowship for community. Um, but before going into this topic, uh, Mary and Elizabeth, I, will, I would want to welcome you into this space and ask you to share a little bit about yourselves.
2: Um, so I'm Elizabeth Chin. I teach at a small art and design school called Art Center College of Design in a graduate, in a MFA program. And, um, I'm currently the editor in chief of American Anthropologist. <laughs> Took over a few months ago. <laughs> Fancy. It. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I guess, you know, I think one of the reasons that we're here today in this conversation is that um, a lot of my work has has consistently, I think, um, tried to figure out ways to, to create community, whether it's in my field work or in other kinds of work that I'm doing that's actually in some ways more focused on anthropology itself.
3: And I'm Mary Gray. I'm a senior principal researcher at Microsoft Research and um, on faculty at Indiana University in an informatics, computing and engineering school. And uh, most of my work has focused on understanding how people use technologies in their everyday lives, um, but particularly investigating just the ways they upend expectations of what technologies, quote unquote, do to us and what people um do with them to transform their relationships, their environments, navigate the constraints on their everyday lives. And that necessarily means they're in community and conversation with others. So I just have always deeply appreciated Elizabeth's work in thinking about the materiality and the um, performative fused in how we uh, connect with each other quite literally and figuratively. Um, and am um, so excited to be in a conversation with you all.
0: Oh, thank you. I wanted to share that I, I took like five minutes before the start of this podcast to meditate a little bit because I, I got a little bit of a panic attack, um, thinking that I uh, I will be hosting the two of you in this conversation. <laughs> so uh, I really uh, I hope I will I will do justice to to both of your wonderful experiences. Um. So I have, uh, let's say, for, for our conversation, two, two uh, questions. Uh, I'd like to start our conversation with, with the following questions. Um, what do the concepts of community and fellowship mean uh, to you um, as individuals, as anthropologists? Has, has this meaning shifted over the years? Uh, and if so, how? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you know, I,
2: I think of my mother... I, I was an accident <laughs> and she got pregnant with me when she was in her early twenties and um knew that her mother would not approve. And so uh like sold her car and went to live in Hawaii for a while and then came back and stayed with her brother and had me. And this was, they were living in a, a town where her, I think great grandparents had had a, a, a silver claim. <laughs> and she's somebody who has always had a clear kind of, um, moral compass and who's, who does what she thinks is right, um, without really compromising, um, and she does it with an, an incredible amount of sort of grace and quiet um determination. <laughs> and I, I you know, now that I'm older, you know, I, I see more and more how that influenced me, I think. Um I don't I don't know that I understood it that way um when I was younger, but certainly with um you know, the, the anthropological work I've done, it, it's always been really important to me that there be, that the work itself undoes certain kinds of hierarchy and inequality between researchers and, you know, the researched. And, um, that was very instinctual at the beginning. And, and, you know, over time I've learned from other people and, you know, have some theory for it, and you know, have a have a kind of kit bag of <laughs> methods. But um, I, I think, it, you know, that that originating kind of um, example and and drive, I think it really comes from my mom.
3: I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I do because I feel like. Um You know, I feel like for me, community, I think of Miranda Josephs against Mm -hmm. the romantic, uh, what is it, against the romancing of community. And that text comes to mind, and her scholarship comes to mind, as I feel like. There's such a, an assumption, um, a wonderful comfort that can come with assuming connection, assuming community. And uh, there's so much, um, so much that can come from that set of assumptions. And of course, for me, it's queer communities. And I have a very clear memory of when I went from a singular community to a plural sense of communities. And it was precisely with that awareness of the complexity of sharing those assumptions and then breaking them. And so, Elizabeth, when you talk about your mom really setting a sense of clarity (laughs) as something that moves her, finding support and move with us without flattening us. Is to me the, that that sense of what communities fellowship mean, um, but it comes with like letting go of the comfort of thinking, oh, we know each other really well. I can say anything in front of you um, that is um, somehow with a set of assumptions that um, I I don't have to keep giving in all senses of the word. You know, like communities is about kind of give and take, the form of that give and take, uh, rather than kind of taking for granted what connections we have.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's very interesting because it does speak to me to kind of like this tension between what is the driver, is it this kind of like sameness? Uh, And on what level do you explore that sameness in, in forming that bond with another? Uh, and then when that sameness kind of leads you down also a path of, of blindness or a path of rejection of something that is not that sameness. Um, I come from a culture for Eastern Europe and I'm in Romania and I've been kind of like the first generation after communism. And, and I, I was brought up with, with a natural distrust towards the other. Your neighbor could have always, you know, picked up the phone and denounced you to the regime for saying something wrong. So mm. you kind of like grew up with this with this kind of sense of danger uh, that you need to expect from, from from a fellow neighbor or somebody in your community. And at the same time, I love what you're saying, Elizabeth, about your mother, because looking back into my own family history from my own mother and my grandmother, I kind of brought in this kind of curiosity and, and trust about the other only when it connects to certain values that I identify with. So, So sameness for me is a kind of a, a door opener to trust. Uh, particularly if you grew up in a culture where lack of trust is the norm. So then through that kind of sameness, which for me comes from the spaces of fundamental values, then uh, you kind of uh, enter. And and the first community of anthropologists that I kind of uh, entered, um, I struggled with both trust uh, and sameness uh, because the language that I entered uh, was also kind of like a language of you know, uh, I will tell you how culture in your country looks like. So, or, um, you cannot speak because you don't have a PhD yet. So you're just a student. And this kind of like, uh, taking the power away from me instead of inviting me in was something that was so similar to my upbringing in my own culture that it, it immediately uh, made me go away to the other extreme. Uh, but then I started forming little groups with my students, fellow colleagues, with a few professors. Um, based on this desire to observe the world, to help the world, to inform theory and and then I started forming these strong ties of community. Uh, so yeah, this this is what your your kind of stories resonated with my own.
3: that's the hard thing. There is a comfort and sameness, but I feel like if we can assume that that's a a veneer, there's something there's a there's a a relishing and reveling in what's what's distinct uh, you know about our our you know about our lives that can build connection that to me is just it's um maybe it's just the moment like the last thing i want is for us to rely on sameness as a way of connecting because it we tend to stop interrogating what it is we're assuming about what makes us similar and it means i start some tacit assumption that people are not like me is something to avoid. Starts building itself in as a safety mechanism, and I I couldn't feel like it's more pressing to do the opposite. Um, to say, "Gosh, we're deeply different," um, or rather, start with that assumption and that that's a good thing. And what am I going to learn? through understanding how different are we I don't know is that maybe that's too Well I, I agree
2: and it, it's um you know at, at so many levels you know somebody recently com- um complimented me on on the way I listen <laughs> and it was this like a huge compliment <laughs> because um one of the things that I've really come to value is um being able to disagree or without having to, to do that violent thing where you just try to win the argument.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And to, to really hear what somebody's saying and then, you know, to have back and forth, but, but not have it again about making points and, and, you know not have it be a a com- combat, and I think academia in particular is 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 just full of that kind of violence right it's it's like warfare <laughs> you know? and um one of the thing you know that light bulb kind of went on for me quite recently and and I'm really interested in you know how can it be possible to um be excellent, right, and do good work without having it be elitist and violent mm-hmm. and have it be generous and welcoming instead, right? And that's a little different than sameness because I think there's a real challenge there about, we know, right, like, well, what's the standard of excellence, you know, and where do those come from and and all of these kinds of things or even – Again, in running the journal, all of these assumptions about, you know, well, the, the, the goodness of, of anonymous peer review, which I'm not so sure that it's that good. Uh, you know, and then how do you remake that in a way that, you know, where the goal is not to just like reject things as a, as a, as a demonstration of, of your selectivity, but where it's about developing things so that they're the best version of themselves. And maybe that means they don't belong in the journal, you know, and that's not a, actually a comment on their goodness or badness. Like the journal has some narrow <laughs> you know, things that it has to stay inside and not everything belongs. But I think that we can hopefully try to shift our, our, just our practices and our, Mm-hmm. Ways of doing things to be much more about generosity than than about this kind of you know nasty machete wielding.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're 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 really triggering me to kind of <laughs> in a positive way to think of you know uh, how do you move from the individual to the collective in terms of what we need to produce, right? Uh, and how can we be for each other? More than than just a, just just a body of producing theoretical knowledge collectively, right? By criticizing and by using the machete, if you if you put at the center of the community the outcome of a community, mm-hmm. it it shouldn't be the production of knowledge through these violence means, right? It should be also more than just that, like being how do we how do we produce and what type of knowledge do we produce as a as a collective. And the forms in which we do that, I think, important. I just wanted to share a little story. Here in Amsterdam, me together with a fellow anthropologist, we created a meetup group to talk about failures and vulnerabilities as a form of building the applied anthropology space. We said, you know, we do not want to talk about successes and theories. We want to talk about the places where we screw up. And how can we be for each other in those moments of deep insecurity and moments of the deep unknown? Because this is how we push against the boundaries of our own discipline. If we sit in the spaces of adding to theory, we are in that warm soup of, of you know, either more of the same or, or like uh, worshipping of the of the feet of, of uh, how do you call that, the uh, fake gods. And how can we together... Um, conceptualize different futures if we're not here for each other in our spaces of uh, struggle? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I I would
3: like to ask, like, do we see room and, and Elizabeth, maybe are you seeing ways to make room in our flagship journals for um, uh, more iteration, I suppose, more mm. opportunities to have this via conversation so that Um, There is less of a sense, particularly for anthropology, that there's less of a sense that there's some division um, or an abstraction from theory that is necessary um, because, it, you know, of all disciplines, this is the one, (laughs) even when you said a standard, it's like we don't really do that hand jive around, um, you know, a kind of pressure of reproducibility or um, you know, a, a a numbers game. I mean, there are certainly pieces of the the subfields that depend on um, quantitative approaches, but we didn't have to have a methods war. <laughs> and so it feels like we haven't been able to luxuriate yet in imagining mm-hmm. anthropology as this discipline, no matter how you um, apply it as always engaged in theory-making. Like, we are always redefining problems. I mean, to me, that is theory. It's it's constantly coming up with new questions, mm-hmm. thinking what is the question of the moment? What are the questions of the moment? You know, that they come out of our engagement with communities is something that seems so, um, if there's anything definitive about anthropology, it is that. So, I, yeah, I guess I, I want that to be a question. Like, is there room for imagining that failure is precisely a theory building exercise?
2: Oh, let's do a special section. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I mean, we all know that failure is tremendously important. And um, one of the beauties of anthropological thinking and, and ethnography is that, of course, You can use examples of failure as, as a, as a tool or as a, as a, as a moment for, um, real productivity, I think. And, you know, I think what, what you're saying about, um, the dialogue and the, you know, in design, what we call iteration is definitely, um, what I'm interested in where, where rather than again accept reject what it's it's let's develop this let's have this conversation let's go back and forth um, and so right right now I'm doing it more at the point where something's been accepted with minor revisions because I also just love working with people's writing <laughs> so I'm like okay now the fun begins and um, you know we we. I really work with authors, um, on, you know, really the piece as, as great as it can be. Um, I would love, I, I think we're, and I'm working very collaboratively with all of the associate editors, which is part of that project again, right? I'm, I'm very much, um, not, you know, the, the lone, (laughs) <laughs> Decision maker uh, would love to see a process that that can get um, developmental sooner, and I think we we have to do some thinking before we can pilot that. But we very much you know want to um, be able to invest. And it's not just developing a piece of work. It's right. It's a developing, particularly like junior scholars, and mm-hmm. and you know, um, particularly people who've been kind of through the ringer one way or another, and feel like they don't belong. You know, I mm-hmm. I hear I hear you know I'll be talking to somebody, and they're like, oh, I don't have a job at at a um, academic institution. Will the journal take my work seriously?
0: Hmm.
2: I'm like, of course we will, <laughs> you know, right? But there's so many pockets of people out there. Like, I just got somebody from the VA to be on the board, and they're like, you know, everybody I know in that world is very suspicious of the journal, you know, and and they don't think that. And I'm like, you know, we need to change that. That's
3: why you're on the board, <laughs> you know, like. But that's you. I mean, that is, I mean, you are yeah. you're reflective of a, perhaps an, you know, an, um, institutional desire to change mm-hmm. where we learn, um, what is the best anthropology has to offer the world. And I just have to say out loud, it's, you, you are making that possible yeah. so that people wouldn't assume I have to be in an academic institution to submit a piece for review. I mean, that, it, it, there's a reason that that's surprising and it's because in the past that was a particular kind of gatekeeping yeah. and you don't, you don't play that reindeer game. <laughs> um, but that's a, you know, I mean, that is, it's exciting and I think it's interesting that in so many other disciplines, um, the approach, yeah, I might be jumping topics here, but the approach of I'm going to have you know gray papers and um, archives where people just pre-publish the their work their you know papers mm. um, in progress Ooh. that I actually find quite uncomfortable for me as someone who wants a form of peer review so that it's not who's got the loudest biggest number that's going to get attention because of the institution they're at um, that's like a different version that can go off the rail. In my mind quite quickly, even though we're in in an area where it's not the vetting isn't to find, you know, the veracity. It's right. to find the offering, like the you know, to really for you to be able to as editors build out the offering so it's um, cohesive and um, can have the most. Impact is—I mean—that's what I—I feel you do. Buried in there was a critique of of um, those kind of pre-publishing archive approaches to peer review, or it's not peer review; it's it's somebody just saying, "Here's what I think." Mm. Um, I don't know. What do you? Sorry, I'm I'm like wanting to ask you this, and this is Karina's show.
0: Well, no, but no, don't worry.
2: (laughs) I want to hear more about that process and experience because i don't know a lot about it
3: it dominates in technical in in foundational fields mathematical fields more Mm -hmm. actually it's it's particular to computer science engineering computational social sciences as Mm -hmm. it's called um and so you know the um the sites that will let you just put a paper that you're working on out into the world and it it literally is just your co-authors or maybe somebody else has taken a look. And that's the beginning of its ride. And I've seen that kind of work get picked up in, um, in popular press. And, you know, yeah, I find that, um, I, it creates an anxiety for me because I don't know what to do. Speaking of trusting, I don't see a community invested in, um, making sure that work flourishes. I see individuals with often sharp elbows and megaphones positioning their work.
0: I think it also speaks to the power uh, dynamic and and this kind of like power structure that exists in kind of validating what gets uh, seen as knowledge, what gets seen as a valid contribution and what gets it not, right? Like, if you, if you, if you have this, this really rigid power structure, um, that still exists within a system or a collective that wants to change, you still get, I think, these tension points. In my, um, uh, job outside anthropology, I, I'm now kind of busy with working in an organization that wants to move that leadership style for more kind of like directive, autocratic hierarchy, no standard, um, hierarchy to more facilitation and kind of more circular. Yeah. Embracing expertise, puts the, put them at the center even when they don't have the hierarchical function or the, you know. But, um, but what is very interesting for me going with, with the, the, the leadership through this process together is the realization that there, there's such a fear of the unknown, you know, like, how do I know that putting that, validating that versus something that I know uh, is the right validation to do for my position? So, um, and, and, you know, then you end up in this kind of circularity of how do you let go of power if what's beyond that you don't understand? How, how do you trust that, that what you want to achieve can be achieved, but you have to experiment with, with it uh, and, and at some point just go for it, you know? So, yeah, sorry, it, it, it made me a lot think about, you know, in, in, I, that's my experience also with uh, anthropology and the communities that I'm in. Uh, particularly when they are very classic and they're just anthropology, not transdisciplinary or multidisciplinary. Uh, I I, I always feel like somehow because I have these other ways, other interests in design, work in business, I'm a little bit on the outside, you know. Like you can't produce theory if you can't write in the same way, if you don't have the same trajectory, if you're not validated by the same people. So there's almost this kind of like shadow Mm -hmm. structure of power that uh, opens up the door to that community or not, you know, or you are given a certain position, uh, and it, it fascinates me because as anthropologists we are good at criticizing power and writing about how it flows, uh, but within our own discipline uh, sometimes it 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 almost feels like. It's the white elephant in the middle of the room, you know. And very white, almost invisible. It's so white that it's invisible. <laughs> you know, it doesn't it doesn't exist by design. Yeah, we um, we are this uh, extremely democratic system of producing of knowledge where power just it's not unequal. It's not so.
2: You know, it's interesting. I'm um, one of the courses I'm teaching. It's a course where students have to sort of do a big speculative project for for their term output and um as I was planning the course this summer i I was like, okay, you know they're just gonna have to speculate a world without police because <laughs> because of everything that's happening and we recently had them do this exercise um, that you know we we just kind of plopped on them, we didn't, you know, on purpose, we didn't um, give them advance notice. And we said, okay, you have to speculate um, an an anti-carceral technology. And it was so interesting, because so many of them basically just made policing a different way. (laughs) (laughs) And, it, you know, it was a, a, a great realization for them that like, how hard it is for for them to imagine a world without police
0: mm.
2: right yeah, and that's that what you were talking about is is quite similar that that um we may have this desire you mm. know to be different in some way uh, or to really change, but the desire and the the actual kind of mechanics mm. uh, and and Living <laughs> of that are a completely different thing, and it's really hard to do.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of Ursula Le Guin. I'm not sure if, mm. if it's, she's one of my favorite writers, mm. and and the way she uh, uses science fiction uh, to kind of create different futures. And I could see the influence of her father in her um, in the topics that she's interested in, right? Mm-hmm. Like she looks at power, she looks at societies, she looks at uh, systems of equality or inequality, race, uh, and, and she just imagines them different, you know. And, and that's not necessarily right or wrong, but it's just that you you bring another element in the mix, right? It's it's, mm-hmm. it's the power of imagination and just completely, yeah. I love her. Well, and I I mean, I also feel like we're at the
3: beginning. We're always coming to a beginning, aren't we? But that, you know, this is, this is, we're, this is another moment where how we imagine what anthropology looks like and what it can do in the world is available to us to redefine. I mean, I, you know, I I think there the the idea of your students not being able to imagine a world without policing is also, you know, there there are parallels with every institution that is there to discipline, mm-hmm. in, including academic institutions and disciplines themselves. Mm-hmm. So you know i i almost was i was thinking about this earlier it's like there's there we you know this is a this is has become a anthropology like any academic discipline is a job and we um used to think not more than 20 years ago because of who taught us that the only job we were being trained to do was being a faculty member that was changing when the people who taught us were um training us. And so we're arriving at this moment where the realities of a, you know, political economies of higher education are not just being radically undone, but we're coming to grips with, you know, how they've been undone for quite some time. So, you know, to me that's that means okay, we're at this moment that doesn't for me Mean there isn't deep value in this thing we call anthropology. It is to the beginning of our conversation. What do we imagine that will do in terms of producing communities and fellowship? Like what what can it can it do? And I said this in the first conversation I have with Karina. It's you know it's not lost on anyone that there's anthropology and there's applied anthropology. <laughs> We all were taught unmarked and marked categories. We know what's (laughs) happening when we see the word anthropology without qualifiers. And I feel like I take great hope in the fact that our lead journal is led by Elizabeth, because that means there are enough people in positions of power to put names forward for editors in chief that see Oh, this is an opportunity to think about what we can produce with this journal, what work can be recognized with this journal, and what work can be, um, nurtured mm-hmm. with this journal. And I don't, you know, maybe in good faith, I don't believe anybody before had, um, lots of intentional maniacal thoughts on locking down the discipline, but we are in a moment of, of being able to imagine what can this discipline, undo, and remake. I mean, you know,
2: to, re- to return the fangirl
3: energy, you
2: know, um, you're like the person that I think of when I'm talking about there's so much opportunity beyond the Academy. And there's so much interesting space. And, you know, working at a place like Microsoft isn't just Selling out, you know. <laughs> um, and so, I I I want to ask you, you know, what how has, uh, having that time at Microsoft, like, how has that transformed your sense of what's possible?
3: I you know I think Elizabeth knows this. Like I I um got tenure and did all the old fashioned things. In many ways, I I. Um, you know, I don't think I self-banished from anthropology. I just kept coming. You know, so it's you know, I I I am I feel anxious laying such strong claim to that moniker. I really anticipated I would have rocks thrown at me. <laughs> and I'm sure there are some and I'm just not hearing them because I'm, you know, built out enough communities that um say, you know, don't listen to the you know, to the pebbles <laughs> hitting off in the distance, and whether that was leaving, you know, not fully staying tied to an anthropology department or um, moving to do my work in an industry setting, the the thing it's given me latitude to do is to to say even more loudly how important it is for these perspectives, for anthropological frameworks and practices to be in spaces outside of um, a formal academic institutional setting because it has so much to teach and learn um, in that exchange. So, you know, it, it's emboldened me in a lot of ways. And uh, to be in this institutional setting that's an industry-based lab and to be frank, it doesn't understand what anthropology is or can do, so it's it's insisting that that um, that history and that current practice and theory is worthwhile, um, especially right now. I mean, I think you know, I think the 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 and the reality is the kind of position um, that I have to be able to define my agenda and ask the research questions I ask. There aren't very many opportunities to do that outside of an academic setting. So I feel incredibly privileged in all senses of the word. To me, it's how quickly, how much while I'm here can I build out um, the ability to make a case that those the open-ended question is the most valuable thing that we can bring to any um, uh, institutional practice but particularly an industry that builds things that people will engage. The most important thing I can do is not assume what people should want, are doing, right? And that, again, anthropology knocks it out of the park for being able to assume that the job is to learn how people are making sense of what they're doing. We'll see if that that argument Lands more opportunities for our students to, you know, take other career paths, yeah, and and bring anthropology to those those places, but also bring what they learn in those um, places to the discipline. Like that, that's the part that I'm really craving.
0: Listening to you talk, Mary, I I, it it made me it made me think because I think what I found personally so um, so. Pleasurable in our conversation was was the fact that um, it, it was it was not just about you know disseminating knowledge or disseminating a theory. You were so fully present in your human story, reflecting on on your work and your background and your um, uh, how do you say positions when it comes to the other in a community, in a fellowship, in your company. So I I, I found that personally very inspiring, and and, uh, this is what I want more of an anthropology community. Because I can read about the position and the theory in a book, in an article, often when I am in a space of community with other anthropologists, this is what I am personally craving. Mm -hmm. What's your human story? How can we connect to build something together that has meaning? Um, And and I often find myself in, in communities of other anthropologists, other conferences, or meetups or uh, also journal that this kind of spaces that are more about the production or and the display of theoretical knowledge that doesn't always help in in kind of like building that glue you know mm-hmm. that that kind of like human glue that 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 uh, this species is so good at <laughs> oh mm-hmm. i'm i'm so bad in expressing myself i'm sorry You're no no
3: no I mean it's such a feminist anthropology and a queer anthropology to center our humanness as a um as a piece of um what we're interrogating right mm-hmm. I mean and and again I feel like that you know I feel inc- I I do I feel incredibly lucky that I found a group of scholars at a moment when those that was still marginal to anthropology and genuinely had people tell me, like, leave anthropology. You'll never, you know, that you won't find mentors if you're going to study in the U.S., if you're going to study queer topics, if you're going to study the internet. And I've said this a number of times, like that the advice I got was leave anthropology. And so I did. And then I just kept showing up to the meetings and continuing to (laughs) carry out what I consider anthropological um, work and I I know it's because I believe that, that humanness with a sense of critical interrogation, mm-hmm. um, meaning I'm not assuming something essential or inherent, but that is genuinely produced in relation to others, is what I'm doing here, <laughs> is what I can do here. That's why I love Elizabeth's work. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> I picture you walking through the conferences <laughs> and drawing people in. The goofy you know, out you
0: know. How do you see that in in the in the journal, Elizabeth? It's kind of like uh, you know, uh, humanism combined with a certain irreverence. <laughs> oh, well, I definitely try not
2: to take myself too seriously um, as as much as then any negative thing that happens. And I'm just like I throw myself on the on the floor and weep uncontrollably for hours, you know. So I, I think with the journal, you know, my joke has been is has sort of been like I'm like falling in love again. You know? <laughs> because it's like four field journal, right? Mm. Archaeology, biological anthropology, linguistics, cultural of course. I was trained for fields um, and I still uh, very much respect it and value it. Uh and so now I'm like reading, you know, these articles about Maya kingdoms, in, you know, 500 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> as well as you know uh, how a river is a is a is an actant in a social world and you know it's it's the full breadth of anthropology is is at least um part of the ambition and so you know it's it's quite the large tent <laughs> <laughs> And it is a hard thing between trying to have a, something about, you know, what there's a there's a through line here. Right. There's a thing that holds us all together while the work can be really radically divergent. Um, but I think it is that core thing, that core concern with how are we human? Um, In that sense, that's not just definitional, but but that's, I think, profoundly relational. Mm. And so work that is not at some level committed to to upholding that relationality with the object of study <laughs> and an audience is where. Maybe you should go somewhere else.
3: <laughs> as oh, as I love project.
2: that. So I think that's where that's where I'm starting to land. Mm. Mm.
0: So so let's say like if 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 um uh, what what do you if we look back you now like against speculative in, in the future like what would you like your legacy to be? What would be a eulogy that the community gives for you? Or is that a too, too, too much of an irreverent question <laughs> to ask?
3: <laughs> now I have Monty Python in my head, like, shh, not dead yet.
0: <laughs> <I know. laughs> no, but, 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 but no, what I, what I mean for, for this particular community, right? The, the community comes around. Like, what, what would you want them to say? You know, I, I already wonder, like, whether we'll try this stuff,
2: and then the waters will just close over us, never to be, you
3: know. So I guess,
2: I guess the, the, the eulogy is like, yeah, maybe it, it didn't completely disappear after,
3: you know. <laughs> it, I, I see it as parting the waters. You're going to put the waters. <laughs> i, I do shit. i, I mean, you know, not to able, not I don't want to get all <laughs> biblical about it, but I do feel like you know we have shit to do, yeah. we have work to do, yeah. and so there's this profound opportunity yeah. with you at the helm, and i it it will i i fundamentally- believe, i mean i rarely use that phrase <laughs> that the effort the work you're going to put into creating that space that you do and have done for decades mm-hmm. will have profound effects, profound effects.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I know that because, you know, your your care for the war, you know, someone who hasn't had that from from, from this journal in this moment. I mean, I think that's the lovely thing about, you know, it, they're, they're fantastic editors in chief. And it's no slam on any, there are no slouches here. No. It's that this is this, like, the combination, the confluence of this moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, um, ripe with po- possibility. And, you know, I, I do feel like you are, you're breaking what's again. And in a moment where there's a chance for um, people studying this approach to understanding the world and contributing creatively to the world will see other possibilities they haven't seen before. And that that's we need that. We need that. Um, so. Oh, yeah. thank
2: you. And I have to say, you know, the the people at Triple A have been unbelievably supportive. Yeah. Unbelievably supportive. And I mean, I don't know, some people said to me, like, oh, you should apply for this. And I was like, No, not me, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, the school I work at is small and um extraordinarily tuition dependent. And so in the in, you know, they were able to offer ultimately very little, <laughs> right? Um, we're not a Princeton, you know, we don't have a big endowment. We don't have, you know, we don't, et cetera, et cetera, right? I mean, faculty, full time faculty where I work don't get offices and they don't get computers, right? It's like, yeah. I'm super special because I have a computer. And, um, what I negotiated with my institution, in part because I'm privileged enough to be able to have considered the option that I um, negotiated with them was to um, take a 25% pay cut in order to get the time I needed to be able to do the work. And I'm just at a point where, you know, I don't have to pay for my child's college anymore. I have a partner who earns a decent salary, very, you know, I could afford to do that. And, and that's, um I was perfectly okay with that decision. But when AAA heard about that, you know, they said, oh, no, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> we're going to we're going to make that up. You know, And they were very clear, like, we want the message to be that we can't be the discipline that we need to be if the only people who can edit this journal come from deep pocket institutions.
0: Hmm.
2: Right. We need the flexibility to to pick and support the person we want. And and that we understand. And I was like, you don't. I don't need the money. It's okay, you know. And they're like, no, it's important for us to do that. At which point I said, oh, okay, you
3: know. Good. Good. I <laughs> know. I mean, that's a principle. I'm so good. I was really,
2: you know, again, that was a total surprise. And and um, that support,
0: as you can imagine, means a huge. It's it's huge. Kind of, I might be rambling here, but I wanted to share a little story. When I lived in New Zealand, um, uh, when I lived in New Zealand, I, I used to work with with some Maori um, uh, business communities, and I ended up being part of a, a kind of a, a meeting with a small business in Auckland where they were electing a new leader. The 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 small little business. And the process that they have an electrical leader was that the whole kind of group of the whole company, it was not a big company, it was like around 30 people, they sat together in the room and they put in the middle of the table their collective dream. What do we want Mm. as a a group? What do we want to change? What do we want to dare? What is our future dream? And they literally did that. They wrote it on little pieces of paper. They dumped it on a table and then they started mapping, you know, okay, what is our joint collective dream? That was, and they spent like six hours doing that, and then at the end they said, who do we want to give? Who do we uh, put this charge on from us? Who do we give? Who do we believe that can help us hold us accountable to our collective dream and help us making us happen? So for them, this kind of process of leadership started with like kind of like voicing their collective desires and then and then who who do we want to be kind of like the how do you call that? The vanguard, like the, the the person that would carry it and that is the leader for the next step. But I found so beautiful the fact that that it, it, it went through a process where the collective kind of empowered an individual, but they also hold themselves accountable to the task at hand for that individual to carry further, you know? Mm-hmm. Um um, because what I see, for example, in the commercial spaces, this desire to change uh, turns into a, a, a task that is put on, on a certain individual and, 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 and you know, like uh, as a kind of a wish. But, but that wish doesn't come through this filter of shared responsibility or through this filter of collective accountability to a firm. no? So these rituals, yeah. um, I, I found them very powerful of kind of like voicing what do you want to change? And then, um then maybe the the whole collective helps the individual achieve that change and ripple that water, right? Like opening the waves.,
3: mm-hmm. no. maybe this is to that earlier question about where I sit. The reality is the corporate structures of universities and the corporate structures of different industry players are being called <laughs> to the table to govern themselves. Yeah. And to be accountable to society mm-hmm. differently, right? And so we've all been working under the assumption that there's something pure about being in an academic corporate environment and there's something um, <laughs> impure. I think you have Mary Douglas here. About yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> being in, you know, else, elsewhere and dirtying ourselves with applied anthropology is staying too long in a mm-hmm. field. Um, Rather than you know going and getting out, so I feel like you know the other thing to acknowledge here is the um, all the you know topics are shifting to recognize the limits of um these corporate structures that have imperatives that they believe are um you know impermeable <laughs> boundaries <laughs> that, that keep their you know, keep their keep their gardens separate. Yeah. They, they don't. We're going to cross-pollinate.
0: And I, I wonder, I, I wanted to ask you both as kind of like our last uh, 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 reflection um, because there, there are, are there quite some people listening to, to this conversation, so I, I wonder, what, what, what do you need from the other to, to help make this dream possible? To move the tectonic uh, piece a little bit further, um, what what do you require from from the other or require like what what would you ask from the other members of these communities, right? Hmm. I think for me, you know, um, I I I feel uh, the
2: smartest thing I've done so far uh, with the journal is to surround myself with people who are smarter than me and and who inspire me. <laughs> um, and uh so all these associate editors who you know we meet every week and and have various other um meetings uh, in smaller groups uh they're honest and forthright um but they're not um you know again they're not ego busters they're they're not just fronting some selfish agenda Right? They're, they're, um, committed to the shared project of, with the, this same core values. Mm-hmm. But, um, they challenge me. You know, they, they say when they disagree or they, they bring something up that they think we should be paying attention to. And these are not just on automatic or just by ceremony. You know, it's, it's, again it's that relationality that's live that that is um key and we've been talking a lot about the ethic of care that we have for each other and for uh the journal and you know particularly dealing with submissions um or things that happen connected to the journal there've been a number of things in recent months that that have um, caused harm in various ways. And how do we respond to that? Mm -hmm. Um, And how do we respond to that in a way that embraces an ethic of care? And it's definitely not easy. (laughs) Um, And now I went off on a tangent Kind of, and so I'll pass it to Mary now.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna pick on your note pick up on your note of responsiveness. I feel like what we need deeply right now from our journals, from our colleagues, from our critics is responsiveness that is um invested in um Absorbing where we could change, rather than investing and doubling down on where we want to prove we're right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that conversation earlier we were having about um, a a habit in academic uh, um, exchange to think that it's about proving who's right um, is such a distraction from. What we know we get from conversations, which is, um, a responsiveness, a, a care, attending to ourselves with and through others and to, to take that as a serious intellectual enterprise. You know, that, that we would, what we need most is to respond rather than dismiss each other. And response, responding to each other can be charged and can be heated and can um, certainly be full of conflict. And at the end of the day, if the the purpose of that is um, uh, and an investment in change, that I imagine the best thing, best outcome is that I change not that the other person changes. Mm -hmm. That to me, that is, oh, that's where we could go.
2: So I have a little story, you know, one of the early papers came in and it had in a way, like if you would just add up the three reviews as a bunch of numbers, you know, it would have been except with minor revisions. Um, But there were some comments from one of the reviewers who, who recommended it positively that, 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 that left me concerns. Anyway, so I, I sent the paper for a revise and resubmit. And there was one very negative review, and there was one very positive review, and then there was this positive review that, that had some things in it that were, and so the, the middle reviewer when, when, um, that person got, got the note saying, well, this is a revised and re-submit, That person was, um, very unhappy with me <laughs> and let me know all about it. <laughs> and it was a very prominent person who I respect a lot and who I had not met before. And, um, it was really hard, but I wrote the person back and I said, you know, I, uh, the last thing I wanted to do was, Was to, you know, upset you and, um, have you think badly of my choices of the journal. And, um, I, you know, I want you to know that like I spent like eight hours like mulling this over and, um, but I'd love to just have a chance to chat with you and so you could understand my choice better and, um, just to let you know again the 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 kind of priorities that I have, and we had a fantastic talk. I learned a lot. It's a person who's edited you know other big journals, and they were giving in a nice way, giving me some advice, but then you know they also we didn't talk about the actual paper too much but but just that chance to to talk and not have it be like. <laughs> And when the revision came in, I was so excited, you know, because I I was worried that the person would be the author would be really upset and just be like, screw you, forget this. I was so excited when the revision came in and it was great. And now the paper is accepted. That to me, right, is is again like just such a success. To, and then the person who had given it a bad review, like when they got the no, notion of acceptance, they were like, well, I, I'm i never going to read this journal again. And I'm like, "Fine." <laughs> you know, I didn't actually reach out to that person to have a discussion. But um, again, I, you know, as you're saying, it's like that as an outcome is to me ideal.
3: I'm so glad I was sitting here like cringing, hoping the person wasn't an asshole to you. All caps rage quit. So that's good.
2: Yeah, and and I think again, I am learning a lot. I'm I am a profoundly conflict averse. Like I'll just I would run for a thousand miles before I would have a conflict with somebody. (laughs) Um, But I'm learning so much about. It doesn't have to be a conflict. Right, instead of treating it like a conflict, I'm learning how to treat it as a moment to have a conversation. And that's making all the difference. You know, um, by by not you know, responding with that push or with that violence, mm-hmm. very often the other person is kind of defanged, you know. <laughs> And I'm, I'm learning a lot from how that allows me to have those conversations
0: differently. Yeah. And, yeah. And removing some of those things that are prescribed violence, right? Like if you, yeah, it, yeah. if you remove that, then also part of the violence goes away. No? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of like magic. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally magical. When yeah. somebody expects
3: you to react, so they're ready for their reaction, their counter reaction, and you, yeah, cool. redirect. What is you Aikido?
2: Aikido the one that does that? You just like take I their. I think so. Let it, you know, they, they just <laughs> knock themselves over,
3: you
0: know. Yeah, and doing you doing very
3: Matrixy right now. <laughs> I wish the audio could capture the.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then you give them a hug. You turn it into exactly. a dance, right? Not a fight. Absolutely. It's, I mean, again, it's very feminist.
2: It's very, there's no less rigor in all of that, right? There's no less seriousness of purpose.
0: Yeah, but you know, all of these kind of like things that have to do with kindness, empathy, care, these are coupled with other things that are not necessarily the rational, sharp uh that that tool that we so often refer to that also is conducive to that form of violence right yeah and 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 then practicing these other things it doesn't come as naturally i would say in those environments but once you start practicing them then it it does make all the difference No. oh i'd love to i'd love to continue this but i'm really aware of the time i just want to thank you for this time and also for the extra time that we've uh we stayed 20 minutes more than we originally planned. So thank you for both of you for uh, this graciousness. It was a, you know, a delight. <laughs> yeah, I love it, and I, 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 even want to go deeper into this topic of violence and these practices of care of kind of how do you defang conversations? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, that's a, it's a, it's it's a nice topic to go to go deeper in and, and kind of see how. How can we get more practical about this? But uh, right. yeah, I just I just wanted to thank both of you for your time. What a great way to start my day! It's still
3: morning where I am, so. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I'm, I'm going to go grab some lunch. Ah. Chew yeah. on this conversation. So,
0: <laughs> ladies, I hope you have a wonderful day wherever you are in the world. And again, thank you for your time.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: Good to bye. see you. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speakers' work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.